Welcome, friends. This is episode 73 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Axe. It is great to have you here. However you're listening today, certainly do appreciate that. The easiest way to keep up with the Syracuse Sports Podcast is to subscribe. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just hit that subscribe button and a new episode of the Syracuse Sports Podcast will pop up and you can listen to it on demand when you want. We've had some great previous episodes. You can hop back in the archive and listen to, but we're certainly looking forward to chatting with our two guests today. Sam Rogers is going to join me today on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Sam is a former Syracuse football player who is now running for office. I was curious how one makes the transition from college football player to life afterwards and deciding to try and serve the public in the state senate we'll talk to sam rogers about that coming up and julian wiggum will join us once again julian joins us weekly throughout the football season here on the syracuse sports podcast the orange got a big win over georgia tech had a bye week how do they keep it going against an 0-4 duke team on saturday at the carrier dome we'll break it down with julian coming up but i want to start with this it was the great philosopher ferris bueller who once said Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Well, one thing we certainly have to stop and recognize is another title, another dominant performance, another amazing performance from CNS grad Brianna Stewart. It's amazing to think about how Stewie was at CNS High School, Cicero, North Syracuse, just a few years ago, and now is the greatest women's basketball player on the planet and is well on her way to becoming the greatest women's basketball player ever. Stewie and the Seattle Storm won another WNBA championship this week over the Las Vegas Aces. So let's pile it up for Stewie now, and I certainly couldn't cover everything on her resume, but here are the big ones. Four-time NCAA champion and a four-time NCAA tournament most outstanding player. A three-time consensus National College Player of the Year, a 2016 WNBA Rookie of the Year, a gold medalist in 2016, the 2018 WNBA MVP, now a two-time WNBA champion, and a two-time WNBA Finals MVP. Stewie averaged 25.7 points, 7.8 rebounds, and four assists in these finals. What made it even more special, and what we really need to stop and recognize here, is that Stewie did all this and continued her dominance coming off an Achilles injury last season. In 2018, she was the Finals MVP, and she was even more impressive this year. In six games, she averaged 25 points while playing 32 minutes. In 2018, she averaged just under 25 points while playing more than 37 minutes per game. This time around, she shot 54% from the floor, including 50% from three-point range and averaged 7.8 rebounds per game during her Achilles recovery. Stewie focused on her ball handling, and it showed in these finals, as she improved her assist numbers to 4 per game. That's up from 2.5 per game in the 2018 playoffs, and dropped her turnover numbers to 1.2 per game, down from 2.3 per game in 2018. Not every player recovers from an ACL injury like that. While technology and medical advancements have certainly put the ACL injury as kind of normal in the sports world today, not everybody can recover from that injury and dominate the way that Stewie did. And the most amazing thing in thinking about her time at CNS High School, her time at UConn, and now 
in the WNBA. It feels like Stewie's been around as long as, say, LeBron James, who continues to amaze even in his 17th year in the NBA. The most incredible thing to think about with Brianna Stewart, she's only 26 years old, and she's already accomplished all that. If she stopped playing basketball today, she would be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but she's going to keep playing, she's going to keep dominating, and before it's all said and done, she's going to have GOAT status, greatest of all time. Let's hear from our guest now on the Syracuse Sports Podcast, starting with Sam Rogers, who's running for state senate, and then we'll get some SU football analysis from Julian Wiggum. Sam, it's uh, good to catch up with you, and uh, I've asked you this question before, but now that we're chatting here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast, uh, I shall ask you again as we bear down on Election Day here, why run for office? Right. Thanks for having me on, uh, Brent. I appreciate being here. It's it's quite a chaotic time to run for office, right? I've heard it from <laughs> many people, and I've decided I'm either really courageous or I'm just crazy, and I think it's probably a little bit of both, but here's why I'm running is when I was a captain in the Syracuse football team, I realized that what I love doing is getting involved in the community and being involved in the central New York community, inspiring and encouraging others. And I think at the state level, there is so much work to be done underneath all the national chaos, all the the national buzz and people jumping to sides and, and uh, really that kind of toxic, toxic climate that many people speak about. On the state level, there is room for people that want to serve the community, and that's what I want to do. That's what I did when I was a Syracuse football captain, and that's what I want to do as your next state senator. It feels like you're somebody that has wanted to, as you said, contribute and be a part of the, the conversation in a productive way. There's a lot of offices you could have run for. Why state senate? Why do you feel like that's where you can make the most impact right now? Yeah, I think State Senate is a, a, a really good intersection of, again, my, my community-driven approach where I want to get involved in the community, but then it also brings together my legal education. Uh, so when I graduated from Cornell Law School, I was thinking about, you know, what, what is it that I want to do and where can I plug in and use my skills that I've been blessed with uh, to benefit, you know, the community. And State Senate is a good intersection of that, where it's policy it's representing on the senate floor in albany but then it also has the local aspect of i can walk into businesses or i can go into schools and listen to the children or listen to the business owners and say what do you need how can i help you and you know i think right now at this time with covid and everything we're facing that's more important than ever that our representatives are going to their constituents going to our community members and say you know this this isn't going to be easy it's going to be tough, but what do you need and how can I help you get there? How do you campaign during a pandemic and, and hear those concerns and, and reach out to your, your potential constituents there and, and, and figure out what they need? It's got to be, uh, you said it's a crazy time. It's a crazy time to run for office anytime, but how do you go essentially door to door during a pandemic and hear the concerns from your constituents? It's a lot of Zoom. Uh, meetings like this, uh, to be sure. But actually, I go door to door. I throw on a Sam for Senate mask. I wear plastic gloves. I'll knock on the door, make sure I step uh, five to six steps back and see who will talk to me. And that decision was made at the beginning of August. I realized, look, I can either be in my house and just sit around from 5pm until it gets dark, 
or I can go out and meet people. And I think that is so important because that's where, like you said, you learn what are people actually talking about? What do they care about? And you get yourself in front of them. You show that you can listen to their concerns and that you want to be their representative. And it's been going very well. People are very receptive. And, you know, there's been some people that just say, you know, drop your your pamphlet and I'll get it later. And that's fine. You know, that's it's a pandemic. And and, uh, you know, some people don't want to come out and talk to me, but I at least make that that impression. Um, they can't see my smiling face, but my campaign manager says they can see my smiling eyes. Um, so so I've been getting out and talking to people. And I think that's so important. And that's that's one thing that this pandemic is hurting um, when you're going to vote. You need to know. Um, that your representatives care. And that can only be done a lot through door to door. Broad question, but maybe you can filter it down to uh, the most popular answers. It's kind of like family feud, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, here, here are the most popular answers. We, we polled 100 people. So from right. you going out there, knocking door to door and even Zoom meetings, what are the big concerns you're hearing from people right now that you want to help with? Without a doubt, it's COVID-19 and the response to that in the future. And, you know, that's kind of an umbrella over a lot of different aspects. So it's the economy, um, it's schools, you know, what's going to go on with our schools. And again, it's how can I help, right? At this point in New York state, the state legislature voted away all their pandemic response power to the governor. So all the decisions being made regarding COVID-19 and New York State's response is being made by one person in Albany. And when that is happening, no matter how he's doing with those decisions, people in central New York are not being heard. And we've seen that this summer with the reopening, there had been uh, just confusion um, with the different phases at different points. And a lot of that is because we had no one at the table giving our input. So that's what we need. And that's what the people need is they need someone who's going to be a representative and who's going to be at that table and help shape that conversation. It has to be a collaborative effort. And if you look at New York state, I think, you know, everyone would agree with that. New York state is very diverse in many ways with the city and upstate and central New York, Western New York. We need people at the table, bringing those interests, bringing those points of view to make sure that they're being considered when all this COVID response is happening. How has being a Syracuse football player assisted you in this process? Astronomically. It's, you know, I was talking to some people uh, this week and campaigning is a lot like preparing for a season where you do so much work behind the scenes before it's kind of in the public eye. And I relate that to our winter 6 a.m. workouts, our spring practices, our lifts, our summer runs, that no one's really paying attention to. And then all of a sudden come the fall, you know, it turns on like, like a fire hose. And that's kind of what the campaign has been like. I've been doing a lot of work going out and meeting people, um, doing a lot of research on the different issues, all behind the scenes before many people were really paying attention. And then in the campaign world, you hit Labor Day and it turns on like a fire hose and everyone's interested. You're getting contacts from all different sorts of people. You have a lot of forums, debates, those sort of things. Um, so it's really helped a, a ton. And I'll say, you know, when I go door to door, right, one of the best days to go door to door is Saturday afternoon. People are home. I have the time to do it. And so the last couple of weeks, you know, it's been during Syracuse football. 
And I've had some people say, well, you were a football player. Why aren't you watching the game? Wouldn't your your teammates be mad at you? (laughs) And I say, no, because one thing we talked about so many times at Syracuse football was don't let what you want right now get in the way of what you really want. And that was a message we talked to our football players when we were talking about, you know, you got to get in and do the work if we want to win on Saturday. When it comes to the campaign on a Saturday afternoon, what I want in that moment, I want to grill and watch the Syracuse football team play. But what I really want is to win the state Senate race and represent the area in Albany. So I know come November 4th and all the Saturdays after, I'll be able to watch Syracuse football. But for right now, what I really want and what I think will be very good for this area is if we can get me elected to represent it in the state Senate. So football, athletics, everything plays into this race. And I'm so much better prepared for it because of those experiences I had as a football player. Sam, it's, it's an interesting time for sure in, in politics from the top down. And, and one thing that I'm really curious about is it, it seems inevitable that there's going to be some results we don't hear on election night. Mm-hmm. What is your advice for people that are going to have to deal with that? Uh, it's, you just got to wait and see. That's kind of the, the nature of the situation is with the mail-in voting, uh, we won't know on election night. And from my perspective and my campaign, it's really out of our hands at that point. We are going to do every single thing that we can until the polls close on November 3rd. And then at that point, it's, we just have to trust the process and let it, and let it happen. And I, I really believe in the American democracy that those votes will be counted and they will be counted correctly. And that's, you know, that's just what I, that's the mindset that I have to take um, to what's going to happen. It is, it is um, kind of frustrating that, you know, usually you kind of have this closure, right? By, you know, midnight on election day, you should know, but we just know that's not going to be the case this year. Um, and it could extend for one week and even multiple weeks, and we'll just be prepared for that. And Sam, before we let you go, uh, I've certainly got to get your uh, take on the current state of affairs. We're chatting before Syracuse plays Duke on Saturday. Looked like they got a nice turnaround win against Georgia Tech here, and there's just a lot of interesting storylines with this team. I'm, I'm really struck by how many young players have got on the field immediately and have contributed. Uh, Sean Tucker ignited the running game against Georgia Tech, and mm-hmm. uh, perhaps uh, the, the offensive line is on its way to improvement. Tommy DeVito only got sacked once against uh, Georgia Tech. So you don't want to put too much in one game, as you know as well as anybody. But uh, what do you see when you look at Syracuse football right now and, and what they're dealing with going forward here? I think we should be excited. And I'll say that, you know, you don't want to put too much in one game, like you said, but that game does say a lot. And I'll say this, you know, I want to be uh, realistic, right? I was, I'm a fan now too. So I'm with everyone else that after those first two games, it was kind of like, uh oh, where are we going? Um, but that Georgia Tech game showed that when our offense can play well like that, we are a very good team. And I say that because our defense is really good and they're going to be really good for the whole year. And that reminds me a lot of my junior and senior year. If you think about 2013, 2014, uh, Scott Schaefer's teams, 
we had really, really good defenses that kept us in games going into the fourth quarter. And if a defense can do that and you're always competitive, you know, you will win some games. Now, the difference is in 2013, we had an offense where we scored more. So we won more games. 2014, we had some injuries on offense and our offense never quite got going. So the end result was, wasn't what we wanted, but our defense kept us in the games. So fast forward to this year, 2020, our defense will keep us into games. And if our offense uh, can be as prolific as it was against Georgia Tech or even, you know, put up numbers similar to that, we will be in a very good spot. So I'm excited for, you know, the games coming up. I think Duke is a, another great opportunity um, to kind of get things rolling. You know, the defense will always be first. In, in football, it's just easier for the defense to get out there. It always takes longer for the offense to start clicking. So Duke and then Liberty, we'll see. Um, uh, we have great opportunities to get things rolling, and, and I think I'm excited for, for the outcomes this season. Well, Sam, I'm not going to endorse anybody here. I'm not in a position to do that. <laughs> but I am going to give you a lot of credit for putting yourself out there, for running for office. It's something a lot of people say, oh, I could do that. And then, you know, they, they figure out that it's hard and, and, and that it's a process, especially in these times. So uh, continued luck uh, to you in this process. It's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch here in the next few weeks. And as we mentioned, beyond Election Day as well. Uh, best of luck to you. And I know we'll catch up again soon. But thanks for joining us on the Syracuse Sports Podcast today. Thank you so much, Brent. I appreciate it. Go Orange. Sam Persenna. Julian Wiggum is back in the house, ladies and gentlemen, and we're ready to play football again, Syracuse and Duke. And uh, Duke, a one-and-a-half-point favorite in this game, Julian, though I think that's more Vegas wants your money versus who they think is the better team, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think Syracuse is actually the better team going into this game. Uh, so I, I don't know what kind of betting numbers that means for them. But – uh, yeah, I think the matchup for Syracuse really uh, on offense compared to Duke's defense is uh, something into Syracuse's favor. Uh, they've uh, got a lot of opportunity uh, deep downfield. I think there's some matchups on the outside they can take advantage of. I think this is a game Syracuse should win uh, if they come out playing the way that we've seen them play. Um, I'm encouraged by what we saw uh, two weeks ago with the run game. I uh, really like Sean Tucker. So there's, there's going to be some opportunity here. Syracuse just needs to come out and play. I think the bye week is just what they needed. I think it's funny how the narrative changes in just two weeks with the bye week built in there, Julian, because Georgia Tech was a must-win by all accounts. Duke is also a must-win, but in a different way. It's a must-win and like, you're playing the worst team in the ACC, so you must win that one. I think it is, but it just yeah. shows you the confidence that it seems Syracuse gained against Georgia Tech. But that's one of my questions is, what carries over from that game? What – did you see against the Yellow Jackets that you feel Syracuse can continue to build on? Yeah, so really the run game, off the bat, that was something that, that Syracuse hasn't had really – I can't remember when they did it. When Dungey was around, maybe? Uh, so Sean Tucker, I think, is something that uh, Syracuse should keep trying to take advantage of. Uh, the offensive line hasn't been very consistent, but what they showed against Georgia Tech was encouraging. But the fear is, was that just a one-off situation? Was Georgia Tech's line just not that good? Or did Syracuse finally figure it out with the right chemistry between their running back and their offensive line? And so that, that's something where you, 
this week will really tell us. Was that just Georgia Tech or did Syracuse finally figure it out? And it's hard to say off of one game. My hope is that they did figure it out. There were some things where uh, because they were able to run both inside and outside, that told me, okay, there's consistency in everything that they're doing. Maybe they figured out a good bit of it, but I almost would have preferred to see inside runs work versus or outside runs work because that says that's the – that's the offensive line. That's what they're doing versus Georgia Tech just giving up everything. So, uh, if anything, I want to see this run game continue because Syracuse's offense, and really almost any offense, is at their best when they can run the football and then throw. I don't think this is an offense that uh, passes to run. Uh, looking back at some of Coach Faber's offense, especially his best one in 2015, uh, they had two ball carriers who were averaging five yards per carry. And when you can run the ball, when you're – forcing linebackers to consider the run, consider their keys uh, against the running back. They're going to leave some passing lanes open. And then, boom, we know that this offense is a read and react kind of offense where they want to find spots for their receivers. So uh, I think if Syracuse's run game can stick to what it's doing and continue to be productive, uh, that'll open things up in the passing game for Syracuse. And that, that's what Tommy DeVito needs right now. And I think He needs that. Offense. You're absolutely right. And that comes with pass protection. That comes with just taking pressure off the quarterback. In the first two games of the season, Syracuse couldn't run the ball at all you know as a defensive player when you smell blood in the water this team can't run the ball you're going to go after the quarterback well Georgia Tech had to respect both the passing game and the running game and going into Syracuse's next matchup against Duke not only do you want to see Sean Tucker continue to run the football Julian it has been amazing early on the young players on this team that are stepping in and making immediate contributions and a ton of them are on defense and I think that Dino Babers had something interesting to say about that. I asked him about it earlier this week in his media session, and he said not only has injury contributed to it, but when you had an offseason where you didn't have the normal amount of practice time. To paraphrase Coach Babers, it was basically like talent won out, right? It just who stood out in practice, and that's who they're putting on the field. But to see Jihad Carter, to see Garrett Williams, to see Steve Linton and Stephon Thompson and Tucker, who we mentioned, not only get on the field, but make big plays for this team. It's, it's been pretty incredible to watch. How do you think Tony White in particular on the defensive side of the ball has been able to get these guys ready to play and contribute right off the bat? So I think it's easier for defensive players to come in and play right away. And the reason I say that is because, one, especially if it's for a secondary guy, right? So Jahar Carter we've seen come in. Cam Jonas, I think, got his first start last week. Now, the young guys have been able to come in. Cam, I guess, has been there for a little while. But young guys are able to come in and play and play at a high level because there's less to learn on the defensive side of the ball, right? Uh, you've only got really like six to seven coverages that you need to learn, and then you just learn all the checks on top of that. And what may have helped Syracuse this year is they didn't have time to put them in. <laughs> They're probably <laughs> a very vanilla defense. Where they may have, where it may have been seven calls or seven coverages, and then twenty-one checks on top of that, but based on what the offense gives you, to your ten calls, base calls, and then two checks based on what the offense gives you, right? And that's much easier to learn. So now you already you understand the defense and whatever skeleton phase it it's in, and you're just going out there and playing. And the faster a young guy can pick it up the easier and more productive he becomes earlier on in his career. The young, the young freshmen that we always see in college football, those are the guys that just figured out the scheme fast enough. They're, they're usually smarter players, and that's why they're already good and then they progress. So for young guys on defense, because there probably isn't 
that much going into the game plan. They're playing a very basic defense. They're maybe adding one or two checks each week. It's easy to pick up. They understand it, and they're just going out there and playing. Um, and then on top of that defense, and as it is, and how the units develop, like built, it's you can come on. You see more defensive guys, especially when they're younger, come on and play. On the offensive side of the ball, you're seeing young guys like Sean Tucker and such come in and play. And my theory is this: the farther you, I've said it a few times, the farther you are from the ball, they're far, at the line of scrimmage, wide receivers, running backs the easier it is to get on the field because there's no size issue. You don't have to block. You're not hitting anybody. That physicality isn't necessarily needed. I mean, sure, receivers may have to get up the press or whatever, but if you've got speed, if you've got Jody, you can kind of nullify that a little bit. And then on the, on the other side of that, Sean Tucker, he's a physical guy. Like he's came in with a bit of size to him. And again, same reason as defense. If you don't have that much going in to your offense, you don't have all these different checks, you don't have – all of these different installs going in and it's really easy to learn, especially if it's something that your high school was already doing, they're coming in there and just playing. So I think having the shortened off season has really helped a lot of these young guys and their productivity on the field, because there isn't so much to learn. What slows guys down is thinking. I mean, for me, when I was a freshman, even a little bit as a sophomore, the thinking part of it, okay, I got this motion, which is a check. No, it's not red. Oh, no, blue. No, it's green. By then, the ball has snapped, and there's a ball, you know, 60 yards downfield. You can't do that. So I don't think that's happening for these guys. I think they picked it up. I think they maybe Syracuse just done a great job of picking up smart players as freshmen. But the, the learning curve is, uh, is much smaller than it typically is for these guys. I think that's why we're seeing so many young guys produce so early on in their career. Julian, Syracuse has 10 takeaways so far. That's second in the country. And listen, you, you face some good quarterbacks. Kenny Pickett at Pitt, Sam Howell. North Carolina, I think Jeff Sims is going to be a good quarterback. He's a freshman kind of finding his way. So they kind of picked on him in that Georgia Tech game, got five takeaways total in that one. But, look, you've, you've been in that situation where, boy, when it rains, it pours. And the confidence that comes from that, that spills through the whole team. When you know that that defense, five's a lot to ask for a game in and game out, but you know you're going to get at least a couple from this defense, it seems. How does that become a mentality and how does that confidence build as the season goes when you know that you're good at taking away the football? Yeah. So early on coaches may say, Oh yeah, we want to go after the ball tips and overthrows. And that may be like an emphasis. Uh, but as it actually happens and it starts to become an identity, now your goals are started to become tailored towards who's getting these interceptions, who's creating fumbles and the reward system starts to be tailored towards taking the ball away, being aggressive, going after the football. And now that once it becomes your identity, like when, when those things happen for you, it, you, you feel you're confident. It, and that's how it spreads through your football team. So I can think of uh, one example. I remember our 2013 season. Uh, I think it was Darrell Eskridge had like four picks that year. Uh, Brandon Reg had two. I had three. And interceptions and turnovers, Sproul was taking the ball. Like, we had a lot of guys who were taking the ball away. And, of course, Schaefer's defense was about being aggressive and going after the quarterbacks. But as it happened, we were like, yo, this is what we do. Like, this is, this is our identity. This is how we go out and play football. And once it happens for you, like, I don't know what the, the psych, psychological like, ramifications are, but you, you start to expect it to happen and the confidence level goes up and then you start to create your own luck a little bit. You know, you take risks that maybe you wouldn't have taken when it was just a, 
uh, a goal of yours, but now it's an identity. You're taking these risks because that's that's what you do. Um, and I think that's kind of what's happening for Syracuse football and their secondary right now. Even the linebackers getting a couple a few picks. I think that's just they, – they're starting to take the risks that – some defenses don't. I, I, we actually know they are because of the pitches. You, 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 but we're seeing it. We're seeing it. We've actually <laughs> seen um, what, what they do, pitching the football out to, to score. Like, that's stuff that most defenses don't do. Uh, but their confidence level is so high, and they believe in themselves and that they're willing to do those things. And I think that's why uh, this defense has uh, become the tournament machine that it has been. And they're giving this offense a ton of opportunities. So, uh, the identity has definitely become a, a, a turnover defense that creates havoc for quarterbacks. And, um, you know, they don't bring pressure, really. They're not, they're not, like, trying to go after quarterbacks. They're just creating a lot of havoc on the back end for their, their secondary. So maybe they're confusing quarterbacks. Maybe their, com- their coverages are complex. I don't know. But they've done a great job of uh, making this, the identity of this defense a, a turnover-minded defense. And uh, we, we've seen what the benefits are to that. Well, the biggest ball hawk of them all is, uh, at the very least, questionable right now, Andre Sisco, and that fluke accident collided with Ed Hendricks against Georgia Tech in pregame warm-ups. Dino Babers, as you would anticipate, a football coach, uh, not being very revealing with information. He did say, we'll see. And I'll tell you what, Julian, when I would ask my mother for something, if she said, we'll see, that wasn't a no. Like, that was – there was some encouragement in there. That being said (laughs) – I'm not putting money on Andre Cisco being on the field Saturday. And I, yeah. I think we know the impact of an Andre Cisco. Here's my question. He's got an NFL future to think about. So I want to put mm-hmm. your, you in his shoes, knowing that he could be a high draft pick and he does not want to get back on the field too soon. And think of all the, the players that have NFL talent that just sat out this year. Well, he decided to play and up his draft status a little bit. So what's the balance there for him about helping his team, but also knowing he's got a future to think about? Yeah. So one, uh, I think there's always, you know, kind of in the public, like, oh, the team's going to feel like he let us down if he doesn't play. But one, guys encourage that. They know who's got, you know, NFL potential, who's a high draft pick, who's got opportunity. They're not going to say, come play with us if you get, like, because the goal for everyone is to, to most people, most guys in college is to reach the NFL. Now, so they know that if there's an opportunity for a guy, they want him to rest up and, you know, reach his maximum potential in terms of being a draft pick. So there's no team element trying to rush him back because the guys support him and his goals. The coaches support that. I know Coach Babers is a guy who, if he sees or knows that there's NFL potential in the guy, he's going to protect him and make sure that his future is as bright as possible. So knowing that, I'm sure if – Cisco was 85% ready to go, but because we know that he's probably second, third, maybe fourth round draft pick that one of those middle round guys, there's no reason to rush him back, especially for this kind of season. So the risk is not quite worth the reward bringing him back early versus having a, a bright NFL future. We know he'll probably play for years to come in the NFL. So as a coach, as a team, you are going to be a little more conservative with them in a season like this one because I don't think they need six games to get to a bowl game this year either. So there's no, you know, pressing need to, to win all these games. But uh, for Cisco, if, if I'm him saying the same thing, if I'm not 90%, 95% where I feel like there's no risk of re-injuring this and making it worse where I can't perform at the combine or pro day, I'll come out and play. But if there is – 
I'm going to go ahead and sit this one out because you need it, at some point it's okay to be selfish and think about your own future. And there's a lot of support from both your team and coaches to do that, uh, especially at, during a season like this one. Julian, we'll close uh, with some thoughts on this Duke matchup. They're 0-4. They're the worst team in the ACC. They did look better against Virginia Tech, though I think it should be noted Virginia Tech was missing a truckload of guys from that game. 21 players were out due to either injury or COVID-related situations. Duke's got a, a veteran quarterback in Chase Bryce, but it's a quarterback Syracuse can get to. Duke's turned the ball over 15 times this year. It's got to have that ball hawk defense licking its chops a little bit. And Chris Rumpf and Victor DiMuchegi are two terrific pass rushers on Duke. But, look, this is a team that Syracuse should and I think will be. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Uh, they have every reason to. And just to go back to that one, I didn't get this one point in. Um, for Syracuse, if they can run the football this week, I think that that makes this, you know, a no-brainer. I think that Duke had given up 200 yards, more than, two, more than 200 yards rushing last week. Uh, they've given up uh, 300 yards to two other quarters before. Like they, you can beat them in a number of different ways. And for Syracuse, you go ahead, run the football. You open up so many things for your offenses because something I noticed teams are doing, if you know the difference between a, a pass blitz and a run blitz where you're trying to scheme a guy open as a pass blitz versus trying to plug up gaps in a run blitz, we've seen a lot of teams just try to scheme a guy open to get to Syracuse's quarterback versus if you have a run game now, you can't do that all the time because if you miss and you bring a pass blitz against a run, guy can go for 80 yards. So the opportunity now, if you can run the ball, Sean Tucker gets going and guys start getting going to read option, there's going to be a lot of opportunities in Duke being so off balance where the defense will give up 300 yards one week and then 200 yards on the ground the next you've got some opportunities in terms of how you want to move the football. And for Syracuse, because they have so many athletes, uh, both on the outside um, and at running back position now, uh, they can create their own luck here, I, I think, in terms of uh, scoring points and, and being productive on the field. So I expect Syracuse to win this game. I don't think Duke is a very good football team across the board. Uh, it's just going to be in Syracuse's defense is going to get turnovers this week. They give the ball, Duke gives the ball back. So uh, for Syracuse, they're going to have opportunities. It's just a matter of the offense taking advantage and continuing to build on the week that they had uh, two weeks ago against Georgia Tech. Julian, always a pleasure, my friend. We'll talk to you again next week here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Thanks to Julian Wiggum and Sam Rogers for joining us here on Episode 73 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. And thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Find Syracuse Sports Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit that subscribe button, and the new episode will be there for you to listen on demand when you want. My name is Brent Tax. We'll talk to you next time.